Churchies, Milligan here with you, M-I-L-L-I-A-N, your ministry provocateur, iconoclast, firebrand, and the resident heretic here at Dominion Fire today is the episode you've been waiting for for a long time, myself included. Episode 100 on the Heal the Sick podcast. Now today, this episode is very special to me, and I've been trying to coordinate with our guest today for... A couple years now, in fact, as I saw this episode lining up. This is a very special episode to me because my guest today is someone that I met at uh, an, an event, a weekend cloistered event. It's called Tres Dias, which is Spanish for three days. It's a three-day cloistered weekend where you have like talks and fellowship and prayer and things like that. And uh, my guest today was one of the people who were speaking at this event and told a phenomenal story. Now, at the time that I attended this event, what was going on in my life was I was a relatively new Christian. I had just had one of those experiences where, you know, you fall in love with your like first church and the church kind of, you know, goes by the wayside and falls apart and everybody kind of spreads out and was going through a lot of heartache from that element of it. Um, I was still dealing with a great deal of depression. I was kind of at the tail end. I didn't know it was coming, but healing was coming later on from this. And I was coming also off of one of the biggest failures in my life in business and in the work that I did. When I tell you that it was an, a mess, it, it was a mess. And not to mention the fact that my youngest son was 14 months old at the time, so I was a relatively new father trying to figure out all this stuff at a really weird crossroads of life. To say I was miserable, depressed, and, and just a big, <laughs> just a big disaster is probably a big understatement. So this show is very emotional for me, this particular episode and this particular guest. Now, the event that I attended was in Arizona, and my guest today is joining us via Phoenix, Arizona. He is a pastor with an organization called God's Living Room, and if I remember correctly, we had met at this weekend event even before God's Living Room existed because it's been around for a while, uh, but he's also a, a music therapist, has done a lot of singing in care homes, and just music and worship have been a big vehicle in his life as well. So joining me today is a, a dear, dear friend, one of the kindest, gentlest spirits I've ever seen in my life. If God judges you based on kindness and gentleness, I can't even compare to this guy being being a little firebrand from, you know, New Jersey like I am. I, I don't stand a chance that this guy's got it down. Joining me today is my bro. I love you, man. Tom Schermitzler. Tom, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you. And it's an honor to be with you today. Just an honor. Oh, Tom, the heady days of Trace Dias back in those days. Uh, it's been, been a lot happened since then, even uh, even in our, our current modern day, how things have, have changed and how things have shaped, like uh, shifted and adjusted. And we're still here, man. We're still going. We're still standing. We're still standing. Yeah, my world has totally changed. Like you said, I was singing in care homes and memory wards and been doing that for about 10 years. And then when COVID hit, everything hit, hit lockdown. And so I've been I'm recreating myself, finding out, and actually learning a lot about myself in the midst of the trial. 
it's a time for soul searching. There is no two ways about it. You ever hear that saying like people come out of, uh, I forget the exact joke, but people say people come out of the locked out, either a hunk, a chunk or a monk, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I, 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 I definitely got, I got the chunk down. So there's no, no, no. I, I don't know about flattening the curve, but I certainly thickened it up. I, I am the curve right now. But anyway, we, I digress. So uh, just without going into too many details, the, the Trace DS weekend is a cloistered weekend. Now, you may have heard of these three-day retreats, and it's a, it's a men's weekend. They also have a women's weekend, but clearly I was at the men's weekend. And uh, part of the ev- events and festivities are people that speak on topics. And at the time, I was trying to find a way out of depression. I was trying to find a way out of mess. I was trying to learn a little about this crazy God, Holy Spirit thing that I heard so much about and uh, and healing was something that always just kind of called to me. Now, I don't I, I wasn't one of these people in healing ministry that had like a crazy sickness and illness and then overcame it and then figured, you know, I didn't have that exposure to it as much as I just felt a need to be in it. And if you've been in church for any period of time, when you hear stuff like this, you always hear a story of your pastor once knew a guy a few years ago who knew someone else who was in Africa, who in Africa had this happen. And it was always so many levels removed. But when I heard um, Tom speak on a testimony that happened to him, uh, it really crystallized it because it was one of the first I heard of somebody who actually went through a gigantic personal miracle and lived to tell and thankfully is still here with us. So. Tom, would you please uh, give us a rundown, a testimony, what happened to you, and give me as many details and bring it home for me. Tell me tell me your, your story and testimony, please. Well, I was 23 years old, so I was just young and getting ready to just tackle my world and tackle my life, and I was just uh, raring to go. I had just gotten married, and five weeks into my marriage, I woke up one morning, and my right foot was asleep. And uh, I kind of tried to pound it, you know, they had that pins and needles feeling, tried to pound the foot, but it didn't go away. And by the end of the day, that pins and needles feeling just crawled all the way up my, my right leg. And then the next morning I woke up and it started in the left foot and that pins and needles feeling, and I'm stomping the foot and I can't get to stop. And by the end of that day, all of a sudden I got pins and needles feeling going to my belt down and uh, didn't know what was happening. And I thought, gee, nobody told me that when you get married, something like this happens. I just start feeling like this. So uh, it, uh, it, it was just kind of unusual. And then it continued to increase in intensity and continued to grow up my body up underneath my armpits. And it was like, by uh, so that was uh, end of July. And by uh, mid-September, end of September, I'm starting to lose the ability to walk and lose my balance. And I can't fill the floor. It's like walking on cotton balls. I can't fill the floor. And I'm losing my equilibrium and I'm needing help and um, and not knowing what on earth is going on. So we went to go see a, a neurologist who uh, pulled us aside and he said, uh, yeah, this is, I've seen this hundreds of times. This is multiple sclerosis and this is advancing really quickly. Uh, you may want to get your affairs in order because this is probably going to take your life. And then he explained to us uh, that uh, there's no cure for multiple sclerosis. And at that time, they didn't even have any medicines to help you with any symptoms or anything like that. So there's nothing they could even give you back then. And um, so he told us to get our affairs and we were told us not to have any children. I was kind of shocked at what came out of my mouth because I, I said to him, I said, well, God is the giver of life. 
And if he gives us children, we're just going to trust that he's going to take care of them too. And he said, well, that's quite irresponsible. And uh, But I'll, I'll let you know, Lane, we have five children, and none of my children, they're all 21 to 31 now, and none of my children have multiple sclerosis. They're all healthy, they're all fine, and I just think about what I would have, what, what I would have lost uh, with that, and if I had obeyed that advice. But I was surprised what came out of my mouth. I was like, God, the good life will take care of them. And, um, and then I, I, he looked at us as he proceeded to run tests on, on me the next couple of weeks and was doing things, and he looked and says, aren't you guys going to cry? And I, I, again, was surprised at what came out of my mouth. I said, well, we've cried about this. I said, the, the truth is, though, as I said, is I've, I've got a physician who's above you. And, uh, and he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, I, 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 God is my great physician. And I said, and he understands me even better than, than what you do. And he, he was quite, at first he was a little bit offended by that. I wasn't trying to step on his toes. I told him, I said, look, I said, God's given you all the incredible knowledge. You're the, one of the leader, leading neurologists that there is. And, uh, and, and God's given you such incredible knowledge. I said, run whatever test, give me whatever medicine, whatever you, you feel. Because I said, I trust the Lord uh, with the knowledge he's given you. I said, but at the same time, I said, regardless of what you say, I said, I believe that God's got the final say-so in this. And he felt that that was kind of irresponsible and he did his tests, and when he did, he came to the conclusion that indeed I had multiple sclerosis and I was advancing quickly, and and then said, "Now I'm going to fire you as my clients." And so I was like, "Oh no!" So it, it was nobody who could even help me. So it was like I was facing it on my own. But what I what was unique about multiple sclerosis is is that the more and more I would try to fight the symptoms, the more and more exhausted I would be. It was like I would I would try to go, "I can do this, I can do this," and then. How that I can do this, I can do this for a half an hour or pushing through something, I would then have to get go take an hour nap to recover because I would be just exhausted. It would bounce back with this uh, just wave of exhaustion that would go through my body. And so I began to learn some things about walking with God that was kind of the opposite of what you would expect. So it was like I, I learned that when I wanted to pray and I wanted to stand against this and pray and stand against this, then I would be exhausted and needed two-hour nap. So God began to challenge me about giving, what, it, what does it mean to truly give the battle to the Lord? And so I, I was like, okay, God, so I give you the battle. I give you my struggle inside. I give you my trying to work things through, trying to figure out what to do next, all the things in my mind and my heart. Uh, I give those things to you. And he taught me to actually to cut my hands and put all my feelings, all my thoughts into my hands and to give that to him. And it wasn't my responsibility to carry it. Well, I never really heard any teaching on that, but then I realized that was tremendous faith to be able to just give it to the Lord and trust the battle to Him. And and there were other things that He taught me as well. I I, I called Him. I, I had symptoms in my body that were different every day because multiple sclerosis attacks your brain. Uh, doctors don't know why, but it causes lesions in the brain, and whatever portion of the brain that it's attacking that affects your body. And so. Um, and God began to challenge me in my prayer time. He was like, uh, the next person who has, I called him symptoms du jour. <laughs> he said, next time you come across somebody who has a symptom du jour, he said, you pray for them and I'll heal them. Heal them. And back then, that was before healing was really kosher. And uh, so I was like, okay, God. So I went to work and I'm sitting in my cubicle and I, I woke up that morning with a terrible cold and I couldn't hear out my right ear. And uh, the lady next next to me, says, uh, says I, I, I've got a terrible cold and I can't hear my, my ear. And I said, did you say you can't hear out your ear? She said, yeah. I said, can I pray for you? 
She said, sure, go ahead. So I prayed for her, just the simplest prayer. And the Lord healed her and healed me, lifted it for me at the same time. And I went, oh, wow, this is interesting. So I can actually feel people's symptoms and know how to pray for them. Wow, okay. And then I thought to myself, wow, I've, I've got multiple sclerosis. And you just healed somebody through me, a, a cracked pot, if you will. It was like, gee, God, if you can use a cracked pot like me, and you're going to help other people, this is great. You know, this has got to give the enemy a real black eye. I was just like, if you never heal me, but you help other people through me like this, Lord, and you use me to be an agent of your love and your life to help others, that is just that's great news. And so it, it just shifted my whole view about life. It was like, wow. If I can let you love others through me, but I never get healed, that's fine. And so I just gave the whole expectation of being healed to the Lord and just trusted him. And um, and, and uh, there was one point where the Lord challenged me. I, I, uh, I had a, while I was in the wheelchair, I had a family who wanted to take us out water skiing. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they said, well, you and your wife have been through so much trial for the just the six, first six months of your marriage. And we just thought we'd take you out to to just go out on a break and uh, uh and i was like okay sure and they were like have you been on a boat before i said no it would be just a wonderful time of relaxing so they took us out on this boat to go water skiing <laughs> and uh and i told them i said i, I can't feel my legs or anything and i said that's okay tom you know you, you just i just just get out on the water and just have a good time so they take us out on this lake and they bring this boat up onto this sandy cove and the boat goes up on the sand they take my wheelchair, you know, they, they pull that out of the boat and they put it into the sand and they lift me out of the boat and put me in the wheelchair and my, my wheels just sunk into the sand and my heart did too. I was just like, what am I doing out here? <laughs> you know, I'm 23 years old, I'm sitting here, I, I can't move and I'm stuck in a wheelchair in sand and my heart just sunk. And so they got back in the boat and they said, we're going to go water skiing now, Tom, we're going to go water skiing. And I was feeling all sorry for myself. And I said, no, you guys go on ahead without me. So they put my wife in the boat and off they go. They're going off onto the lake. And as they do, that still small voice of God speaks to my heart. And God says, so tell me, Tom, are you going to let the enemy steal what life you do have left? And in that moment, I knew just what he meant because I was like, you know, I can at that point, I could feel with my hands and my heart's beating inside. I can still see with my eyes. Um, you know, I still get to see my loving wife, even though I may not be able to feel anything from my shoulders down. And I and I, I told God, I said, I'm so sorry. You're right, God. I need to, but my attitude is everything. I need to enjoy what life I have. I'm alive. I'm alive. What a gift it is to be alive. And so they brought the boat back in. And I said, now I want to go water skiing. And they said, Tom, you can't go water skiing. You can't feel your legs. I said, that's okay. Let me just hang on to the rope and bob on the water. So they stuck me back into the boat. They put the vest on me. They, they go out into the lake. They throw me over the side like a tuna. And uh, they put the water skis. They put the water skis on me, threw me over the side of the boat. They put the boat, the, the rope in my hands. I've got this rope. And um, up goes the boat. And the next thing you know, I'm, my legs are straightening out. And I'm up on top of the water. And I'm like, I'm water skiing, even though I couldn't feel my legs. I'm water skiing. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 I hit the top of the water. And uh, and it felt so cool and so wonderful, so refreshing to hit the water and to see the, the light of the sun bouncing on the water. And this joy just bounced up inside of me, and this deep belly laugh came out of me that I've had ever since. And I was like, it's just so good to be alive. It's, 
it's just good to be alive. I can't feel anything, but it's good to be alive. And so God began to shift things in my heart about things that I was facing and and helping help me to look at things through different glasses, you know, through, if you will, through a different lens. And so like he shared with me, whenever I got frustrated about my symptoms, he said, why don't you pray about somebody else who's suffering? Pray somebody else, for somebody else you know. And so he, so then whenever I would feel a symptom, instead of it getting me upset, I would pray for somebody. Or you say, anytime you feel a symptom like that, how about you just worship me? Get your eyes off your symptoms and just worship me. And so I, I would do that, and I would find my, my heart would lift up inside whenever I would just change my focus from my symptom and my situation unto the Lord. And he taught me those things. He taught me those things. And about year five or six, I woke up one morning and I couldn't see. I was blind. It attacked my eyesight. And um, and, uh, and I actually thought to myself, I thought, well, here's, an ex- <laughs> here's something I've never experienced before. And... Uh, can't wait to, wait to see what I'm going to learn from this. And I was actually shocked at my attitude. It was like, because it, it genuinely was, I can't wait to see what we're going to learn through this. And I learned that when you're blind, you, you actually do, your other senses do come alive. And you do gain a sense of a compass about your house and where you're at and where you live. And, and the ability to hear uh, grows, the sense of hearing grows and all this stuff. And it was it was amazing. It was in that season that I actually woke up one night and I felt like God wanted me to, to play some music for him. And I, I thought, well, God, I, I can't see. And I could feel in my heart, in my, you know, as I'm praying to him, I could feel him going, oh, I was really looking forward to coming and playing for me. So I got myself up and I worked my way through the house and found my guitar and started to play. And the Lord just wrote this song right through my heart to him, even though I couldn't even see the fretboard of my guitar. And it just lifted my heart to just worship him. And to, to exalt him, even at three in the morning, <laughs> and I can't see. Um, my symptoms each time, I found out later that I was quite fortunate, because um, usually what happens with multiple sclerosis is, is that if it hits a part of your body, uh, it, it can go into remission. But if it hits that same part of the body again, you lose that ability forever. So um, I actually was very fortunate that while I was in the wheelchair, uh, when it went into remission, I was exhausted all the time. My legs felt like they were made of cement. Uh, I felt like I was walking on cotton balls all the time, but at least I could stand up again. And so I was grateful to walk somewhat again. But usually, like, if I went up a flight of stairs, I'd need an hour nap, 45 minutes to an hour nap, just to recover from walking up one flight of stairs. Or as we started to have children, if I rolled with them on the floor and played with them for 20 minutes, half hour, I would need another hour to two hours and have to recover just from rolling on the floor with them because I just felt exhausted. I constantly had what I called cement head. My head just felt heavy all the time. And, uh, and, and of course, the MS, uh, the next wave hit my hands and then the next wave hit my eyes. And luckily, it just, not luckily, blessed by God, it, it, he never allowed it to hit the same area twice. He, but I didn't know that at the time. I now know that on this side of the MS, looking back, that that was God's hand protecting me and holding me in the middle of all of it. Um, when I got healed, I had suffered for seven years. And uh, and I was in that state where, again, if I went up one flight of stairs, I needed a, a nap to recover. My, my boss knew that. <laughs> he worked with me on that. And then also my blindness went into remission after about five, six months. 
And but anytime I would change rooms, anytime the light would change, like going from light into shadow or or even just a little bit of change, my, my eyes would go totally blurry and I'd have to wait for my eyesight to adjust. And uh, so but this whole time for the seven years, I just kept giving the battle to the Lord and trusting him and thanking him that he was over my life and saying, OK, God, I'm yours. And uh, after seven years, I, I met with a group of guys on a Wednesday morning and we had like a Bible study. We pray for each other and encourage each other and, and have donuts you know, in the kitchen of the church. And uh, this particular uh, Wednesday morning was just like any other. As a matter of fact, I was kind of bummed. I was looking forward to getting with the guys and getting that pat on the back. Tom, you can do this. You can do this. You can make it. And, boy, we really need each other. That just means the world when you are got something going on in your body or you're suffering. Just that little pat on the back just means so much. So I got there, and I was kind of tired and bummed. and and when I walked into the kitchen that morning, there was um, nobody there and there were no donuts. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and so in walked this guy, he said, this guy walks in the kitchen. He says, Tom, um, today we decided that we would do something totally different. So we decided that we would just spend time in prayer alone with, with God. And uh, so we just found a different spot on the church grounds and, and in the church. And we're just spending time alone with the Lord today. And when he told me that, I was genuinely disappointed. I, um, I mean, it wasn't that I, 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 I love spending time alone with God, but I just didn't expect my time alone with God to, I, to affect me as much as I needed the pat on the back. I was looking forward to it. Tom, you can do this. And so I was genuinely disappointed, but I thought, okay, all right, I'll, I'll spend time alone with God. That's fine. And so I walked from the kitchen into the sanctuary. And uh, when I did, nobody was sitting in any of the seats of the sanctuary. So I just went up to the front row and sat down. And, and when I did, when I, the, as I sat down, my hair went straight up. And it was like static electricity. And back then, I had what I call the Barry Manilow look. So mind you, I was 23, and now I'm 30. And I had the Barry Manilow look. I had this long hair feathered and layered back. And when I sat down, that hair went straight up. And I'm hearing this. <laughs> Like Bride of Frankenstein, as I'm feeling this static electricity, it was like more intense than just static electricity because I'm hearing this going through my hair. And I was like, what is going on? And, and it genuinely scared me to where I wanted it to stop. So I started to, I stood up and I'm like shuffling my feet, trying to make, make it snap and stop and it won't stop. And I go up onto the stage of the church there and I'm touching things made of metal, like the microphone stands and everything. And I can't. I can't get there to be a spark to stop this. And it's still my hair standing up. So I, I sat back down and I said, God, is this you? (laughs) And he doesn't say anything to me. So I said, Lord, you, you want to say anything to me? Is there anything that I need to pray? Anything, anything I need to pray? Doesn't tell me anything. I said, well, Lord, is there anything you want to say to me? Nothing. So I said, well, Lord, if if you don't tell me how to pray, I've got the church prayer list here. So I'll pray over that. Nothing. I don't hear a thing in my heart. Nothing. So I close my eyes and I start praying over the prayer list. And the next thing you know, it's like somebody took my feet and they put them in the middle of a a campfire. And at first it really hurt. I mean, it, it was a sharp pain, a burn, like you've been burned by a fire. And it went up my legs and up into my body, up in my chest area there. And then all of a sudden it turned to heat. And I felt like I was burning up and I started to sweat bullets. 
I thought I was like running a fever or something. And, and of course, it, in Arizona, it can get very hot, and especially here in Phoenix. But this was like the last part of March, first part of April. So it was still fairly cool. They had the lights off in the sanctuary. So I thought to myself, you know, is the room hot? And so I reached for my clothes and my clothes were cold for the touch. And I, I, I was like, well, I'm burning up, not the room. And uh, so I, I asked the Lord, I said, God, is this you? And he doesn't say anything. I, anything you want to tell me, God? Nothing. I said, you want to tell me how to pray? Anything I need to pray? I don't hear anything. And so I said, well, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray over the prayer list of the church then. <laughs> and if you tell me what to do, nothing. And so I said, all right, I'm going to pray. And so I started to pray over the prayer list. Next thing you know, I feel a little tap on my shoulder. And it's this dear brother. Uh, and he's not a minister. Matter of fact, he works for APS, Arizona Power. And, and, uh, and he met like he just retired from there and worked for them his whole life. And he was one of the guys who was over building the towers and the things in the middle of nowhere. And, and uh, so he didn't, he wasn't like, matter of fact, he had never seen anybody ever healed before. And he came to me and he's tapping me on the shoulder and I open my eyes and wait for my eyes to adjust. And he looks at me and he says, Tom, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. He says, but I was sitting over there across the sanctuary and I looked at you and I had a word flash in front of my eyes. I think it's what's wrong with your brain. And I said, really? You had a word? He says, yeah, I had a word from God. I said, really? I said, well, what was the word? And I expected him to become like Charlton Heston, saith the Lord, you know, that kind of a word. But it wasn't that. He says, Tom, the word was mapping, M-A-P-P-I-N-G. And I said, mapping? What does that mean? He says, well, I asked the Lord, and the Lord showed me a, a, a vision. He showed me the map of the state of Arizona. He showed me this train coming out of Phoenix and heading up north. It's going to hit Flagstaff, and then it's either going to go over to the, to, the, uh, to the left, and it's going over to Albuquerque, or to the right, it's going to go to Albuquerque. It'll go straight up to Utah, depending on how the rails connect. You've got a disconnect in the rails and the nerves of your brain. And this guy didn't even know how MS works. But the way that multiple sclerosis works is you have a nerve, and the nerve is covered by an insulation sheath called an, uh, um, a myelin, myelin sheath. And that myelin protection sheath breaks down. Doctors don't know why, but MS breaks down that sheath and causes a disconnect in your nerves. So he said, Tom, you've got a disconnect in the rails and the nerves of your brain. And he didn't know it, but he gave me the perfect allegory picture of what was going on in my brain. And that would have got me really excited. Except that as he started this whole thing about the map of the state of Arizona, I'm feeling this warm, what feels like warm, peaceful honey coming over the top of my head. <laughs> and as it's coming over my nose, oh, I start to choke. It's like I'm breathing in water. And the tangible presence of God is covering me. And then the Lord speaks to me and he says, relax, son. This is me. And this warm, peaceful honey covers my whole body as he's talking about the map of the state of Arizona. <laughs> You've got to disconnect in the rails of your brain. And this guy doesn't know what I'm feeling on the inside, and he knew nothing about what I've been feeling leading up to this either. And he looks at me and he says, can I pray for you? And I'm like, I told him, I said, well, the Holy Spirit's been touching me all over. I've had power on me all morning. You could probably pray anything and work. Go ahead. So I close my eyes, and he prays a real short and simple prayer. So short and so simple. I was like, huh, is that going to work? <laughs> and and then when I opened my eyes for the first time in two years, I could see clearly. 
I didn't have to wait for my eyes to adjust. And I thought to myself, could it be that simple? I wonder if the rest of my body's healed too. So I jumped up and I ran out of the church. <laughs> the, guy, the guy who told me later, he said, Tommy said, I thought maybe I hurt you or something because you didn't say anything to me. You just all of a sudden opened your eyes, got up and you ran out. Because <laughs> I was like, man, if God healed my eyes, maybe he healed the rest of me too. So I started to run. I ran four blocks away from the church. I ran four blocks back. I wasn't even winded. It was like I'd been training for the Olympics my whole life. And this choice is still in my heart. And as I'm running, I'm, I'm telling God, I'm going, God, really? You're going to heal me now? <laughs> You're going to heal me? I said, you don't, you don't have to prove your love to me. I know you love me. You don't have to heal me, God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, God. Thank you. And as I ran into the church, I started jumping up and down. And now the guys were coming around. They're realizing something's up. And they're going, Tom, Tom, you shouldn't do that. I said, I've been healed. And they said, no, you haven't. And I said, oh, yes, I have. <laughs> oh, yes, I have. And I have been now without a symptom for 27 years. And, uh, and, and the, 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 I, it was just amazing. It was so amazing. I grabbed the guys and said, we just got to thank God. After I realized after about 15, 20 minutes, and none of the symptoms came back. And I wasn't exhausted from running. And, and so we, we fell to our knees there in the foyer of the church and we made a circle and we just thanked the Lord. And then I had a vision. I had a picture for myself. And uh, uh, I saw a dam being filled with drops of water. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Tom, these drops represent the prayers of the saints. Everyone who's prayed for you the last seven years, go back and thank them. Because every prayer counted for your miracle today. And then the dam burst open. And I realized in that moment that we're created in God's image. And, and God said, let there be light. And there's still stars being formed. And when we pray, we think it's done. But actually, it still is activated into the spirit realm and, and into the realms beyond what we can see. It's still going forth because we're made in God's image. And so prayers are never wasted. Even if you don't see an answer right away, they're, they're, you know, what God was showing me was every prayer counted over those seven years. And I remember about year number four or five, I would have people who'd want to pray for me. And I didn't want them to get discouraged because people would pray for me. And then I, they'd go, okay, I'll try it. And I would get up and my symptoms didn't change. And then they'd get all disappointed. So I got to the point where I was like, I'm not going to let anybody pray for me. <laughs> and then when I did that, the Lord corrected me and said, Tom, this isn't about you. This is about me loving you through them. Would you just receive my love through them and don't worry about the consequences of how they feel, but let me love on you through them? And I realized when he said, every prayer counted for your miracle today, that if I had turned any of those prayers away, I mean, I began to wonder what would have happened. And so since then, I've been going back and running into people and, and uh, they go, hey, I got you. And I tell them what happened and I thank them for their prayers and that afternoon, I, I, I got back uh, after the, or rather that morning, I got to work and I started running up and down the stairs at work and my boss comes out and he's, he's a wonderful Christian guy, but he starts cussing at me. He's going, what are you doing? You're going to have to sleep all day now. What are you doing? And I said, really? Watch this. And then I ran around the parking lot of the whole building. And uh, it's just been amazing I to be healed and, and to be my life has been changed. Some people say, well, Tom, why did God let seven years go by? And I can tell you this, that after God healed me, it, the seven years didn't mean a thing. I was just so happy to be healed, to be alive, to be whole again, and to not be tired and to feel normal again in my body. It was just so amazing to see and 
that all the other years of suffering just did not mean a thing. And it's just like, it's so good to be alive. <laughs> That's so good to be alive actually resonated even louder. It was so great to be alive. And, and now 27 years without a symptom. I, I, about 15 years later, I had a guy who pulled me aside. And uh, he said, I heard about your story. And so he had me tell him his story. And, um, and he said to me, he said, you realize that's a miracle, don't you? I said, yes. He says, no, you realize I'm a neurologist. And he named the hospital that's nearby. He says, I'm a neurologist there. And he says, what you're telling me, he says, you should at least have had symptoms reoccur every three to five years at the most. You should have had more symptoms. You've been free now 15 years. He says, you realize that's a miracle, don't you? And I said, yes. And then he said to me, I need you to pray for me. Because just this morning, I diagnosed my own daughter with multiple sclerosis. And you're the only one I've ever known who's been healed. Would you pray for me? And so God has since used my, my testimony and my story to encourage others, both in the medical world and, and as well as just other people who, who are just looking to know that God is with them through the midst of struggle and pain. That's my story. Well, that's uh, um, um, overcome with emotion as I as I hear this because I'm sort of reliving hearing it when I heard it the first time. And there's two things I just want to add to the conversation before we pivot a little bit is that in the year since the uh, men's weekend that we were on that, you know, it got back to life and started. It was very changed from that weekend. And as the time went on, I got into the healing ministry and was doing a training here in Nevada. And we were at a another weekend, like a training seminar kind of thing. It's called the DHT. And at the end of it, they have people that come up for prayer. The first person that I ever helped pull out of a wheelchair was a gentleman who came with MS who wanted to be prayed for. <laughs> he hadn't walked in five years. I, and we prayed for my, me and another 18 year old fiery kid from Brazil. The two of us just went after this and the guy walked. He stood on his own and I keep pictures on my phone to this day. I just have it kind of tucked away. Should I ever need to show someone? So I do have that. And so that was it was interesting because I just made that connection. Now, as I'm thinking about it, one of my first huge miracles was pulling someone out of a wheelchair who had MS. First time he walked in five years. But now here. Here's uh, sort of a more personal thing modern day with me is that um, I, I sort of have alluded to this a couple times and I don't really get into it much because I'm still fighting through it. But about five or six years ago, I started having like crazy weird symptoms and an illness kind of hit me. And over the years, I have tracked it down to something of a neck injury that I can't seem to get healed. And it causes this weird constellation of symptoms because it's nerve related as you know, nerves do all kind of goofy stuff, as you know, you've just heard. And I've gotten considerably better, but I'm still trying to shake off the remnants of all the the excess stuff and some of the goofier symptoms. And it's a fight, man. And I'm five years into it myself. And you're talking about how you dealt with that for like a seven year period is what it sounds like. And um, the thing that strikes me is that you throughout it all did not like give up on God. You didn't seem to get real angry from what you were telling me. I'm sure you had periods, but overall, in general, you seem to have kept a level head. You were grateful. You kept worshiping and praying and all that stuff. And I know over this last five years, I have not done anything like that. I mean, there's times where I told God off. I said some all kind of stuff I probably shouldn't have. I've gotten angry. I've gotten mad. And I, I guess I just don't understand. How did you do that? How did you keep such a positive attitude? How did you stay so upbeat? I know it's a lot of your personality, but how did you keep your mind in the right place through all that. 
two two things that happened, and don't mind two more little stories here. When I when I had the multiple sclerosis, that forever uh, touched my heart, um, because I at first was wondering what's wrong with me. Do I not have enough faith? You know, at first I wondered the faith thing. You know, is there just not enough faith in me? Is that what's going on? And if I had more faith, then I would be able to overcome this. You know, God, is there something wrong with me? And then of course that leads to God. Do I have sin in my life? Is there sin there? You know, is there some uh, is there something that I've done that's blocked it? And of course, as I prayed and talked those things through with God, finally, after a few months of that, the, the still small voice of God spoke to my heart and said, "Son, have I told you you've done any sin?" And I said, "Well, Lord, I know I'm like Job. I'm sure I got." He says, "Yes, but have I brought anything to your heart that you need to deal with?" And I said, "No, Lord." He said, "Then can you trust me that I love you?" And that I'm with you, even though you're you're going through this. And that was that was a big thing for me. It was like, oh, so you still love me? In other words, what's going on in my body isn't a spanking. It isn't because I deserve it, or isn't because you know uh, <laughs> you're trying to discipline me. But this is something that um, you love me and want to walk with me through. And then the, the, you go from there into like Psalm 91, where it talks about being under the shadow of His wing, abiding under the shadow of His wing. And I was oftentimes thought about, you know, coming into the shadow of a bird's wing, you're near its heart. So I was like, Lord, keep me close to your heart. Whenever I, so I began to say, God, whenever I started to feel symptoms or feel bad, I thought, I'm just going to, instead of running away from God or being angry at God, I would actually draw near and say, God, would you just hold me? Would you just hold me, God? I just need you to help me. And I would cast those symptoms onto him. And one of the the, the, the the two stories that really helped to solidify this for me was there's one point where I couldn't feel anything from the from the shoulders down in that season where I was I, it basically called a two person transfer. It took it, it took a couple of people to get me up out of the bed and into the wheelchair. And I'm only 23, you know. <laughs> and uh, and my wife, she was putting a scripture. She put it on a poster board up above me on the ceiling and attached it to the ceiling. It was Romans 8:11. It says. If the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells within your mortal body, he will give life to your mortal body, to that same spirit. And I thought, wow, Lord. I, and, I, and I laid there, and I just, I was, I was laying there, and I was looking at the ceiling. I couldn't move. And all of a sudden, that still small voice of God speaks to me, and God says, Tom, look at my fingerprints. Like, like he wanted me to look at something he had done, and I was like, what? What fingerprints? And I just plowed into him. I said, I said, God, what fingerprints? What have you even done for me? What can you possibly say you've done for me today? I said, I, hey, I'm, I'm just six months into my marriage, and I can't get out of bed. I don't even know if I'll make it back to work or not. I, can hardly get, I can't even get up to get in a wheelchair over there, and I can't feel anything from, from my shoulders down. I said, what fingerprints? What have you done for me, God? What have you done for me lately? What is there that you possibly that you're expressing to me that could possibly be good about fingerprints? What fingerprints? And I let it all out. And I realized as I was after I did that, I got quiet. And then the Lord, I became aware that for the first time in months, I could feel my right big toe. Nothing else but my right big toe. And I moved it up and down the sheet, and I could feel the cool weave of the sheet. <laughs> and I said, oh, God, oh, God. And I knew what he meant for, by, by look for my fingerprints. He wanted me to look for the little miracles 
the little bits of grace that he was giving me to show me that he was with me, even in the midst of my trial, and that he was there, and that if I could rejoice in his fingerprints. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> From there, the fingerprints got bigger and bigger and bigger. You know what I'm saying? I, I could actually get out of that bed and into the wheelchair. And so I was like, go God. And so, but that, that phrase has become my phrase. Everybody knows me. I go, go God, go God, go God. But it started out of a whimper. It started out of a, as I felt that toe. Oh, thank God. You are with me. You are with me, that little fingerprint, you know. So I've learned to, to in the midst of my suffering, to look for his fingerprints. And not to give up on that, but to always realize he's with you and he's showing his grace. The second thing that happened was my wife is British and her uncle was actually a part of the London Philharmonic. And so they traveled and happened to come through the Phoenix area and they were going to do this big concert. And they were all, her family was so excited. And uh, we're going to go and we're going to sit on the front row of this uh, in Damage Auditorium and we're going to watch this work. But I genuinely didn't want to go because the multiple sclerosis was attacking my insides at the time. And I had this terrible stench. I just smelled terrible. And I felt so bad. It was like, I, I told my wife, I said, why don't you go with your family and I'll just stay here at home. I'll meet you guys when you get back. And she said, Oh no, you don't understand. This is, I mean, it's true. It was like a once in a lifetime event, them traveling through from England and being in the Valley. And so I was like, all right, I'll go. So I went and we're sitting there watching the orchestra and, and, and I realized I stink. Oh, do I stink? And I can't do anything to stop it. And uh, But I'm trying to enjoy the concert. And we get home that night. And the one thing about being in a wheelchair, one thing about being in that kind of state, is people get you settled and they put you in a corner and then they'll forget about you. <laughs> they don't mean to, but they forget where they put you. So they put me in the living room and the family went on into the kitchen and they're enjoying treats and snacks and whatever. And I'm sitting in there and all of a sudden I overhear my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law. And my brother-in-law says, did you smell him? Did you smell him? Oh, that was so gross. He smells like death warmed over. He smells so what does she even see in him? What does she even see in the guy? Clearly, he married her so he could have a nurse take care of him for the rest of his life. I mean, doesn't, he, doesn't she see that? What does she see in him? He stinks. And as he's going on, I, I just began to cry. I just, I, I never felt lower in my whole life. I was just like, and, and I said, God, I said, God, help me. I said, I never meant to have a nurse. I never would have married her. I never would have put her into this. God, please help me. And all of a sudden, that still small voice of God floods me. And the Lord says, I love you. And I said, God, how can you say that to me right now? I said, I stink and I smell so terrible, I can't walk. I said, and you tell me you love me? And then he said to me, Millie, he said, Tom, when you're able to receive my love, when you feel unlovely, then you'll be able to help those with my love who feel unlovable. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and then joy bubbled up. It was like, yeah, yeah, Lord, if I can receive your love when I feel unlovely, you'll help me to love the unlovable with your love and change the world. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. And he would speak to me things like that in the midst of my suffering that 
was it got me through it was like god actually took my hand for the seven years you know <laughs> so i was like who was i to yell at him or get mad at him it was like it was like peter saying you know well where else can we go you alone have the words of eternal life you know <laughs> so that's the way i lived through those seven years uh, all right, let's pull it together here because I'm kind of losing it back here with you. <laughs> okay. I'm with you. Right. I'm with you. I, I tell you, it's a lot better on this side, you know. I mean, oh. It's like, you know, it's like, it feels like ages ago. And when I asked my wife, she's like, I don't remember any of it. And I'm like, thank you, God. She doesn't remember any of it because I remember it so much. Oh. Yeah. Just take that away, right? Oh craziness. So listeners, you hear that's a, that's a phenomenal story. And when, when, when you've gotten to know Tom and you've been in person with him, as I have on, on multiple occasions, it, it, this totally hits you even harder than it probably is now. And it's just a phenomenal story. And I'm so grateful you came here to share this with us today. But uh, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit because you, you dealt with this up to 23. But just a little about yourself before 23. Uh, were, were, did you grow up in faith or did you come to faith like a little before this? Where did you fall in in uh, just general belief and, and faith in God in general? And now you nailed it because um, I tell people I came into the church through the back door. Um, I I was raised in a family that did not know the Lord. And uh, my, my father was a Navy man and uh, was an alcoholic. And he struggled with drugs and, and with alcohol. And uh, as I was growing up, he was a mean alcoholic. When he would drink, he, you know, he would lose his temper. And uh, so I was beaten many times and, and suffered a lot. And I didn't understand it. I just did not understand why I was in trouble now. What did I do now? And so I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I'm here as he would beat me. And, and, uh, and when I got to be about nine years old, I was uh, at my grandparents' house with my family and uh, my mom and dad and my grandparents were in the kitchen and back then it was rare for the kids to turn on the tv at night but i figured since we're here at my grandparents and they're in the other room i'd give it a go so i pulled the knob and the tv comes on and i'm clicking through the channels and i see the face face of this guy now mind you i don't even know who he is but it's billy graham and billy graham starts to say something it's just like all of a sudden i'm just like drawn to his face and it's just like his words just went right through me and he says God will become your father if you ask Jesus in your heart and you make him your best friend. And then he says it again. God will become your father if you ask Jesus in your heart and you make him your best friend. And then my dad entered the room, so I turned off the TV because I was like, I didn't want to see what I was watching. And he goes into the bathroom and I turned the TV back on again and Billy said it a third time. He said, God will become your father if you ask Jesus in your heart and you make him your best friend. Well, it was a few weeks later, um, my dad took us to a, a drive-in movie, and that meant my dad was going to have a couple of six-packs by his side, and he's drinking. And uh, we stayed for all there, – there was the first movie, second movie, and then you watch the first movie again. Well, we, we stayed through all three. And as we're driving home, my, my mom is pleading with my dad to slow down because she's concerned for our safety. He's been drinking and everything. And he starts cussing at her. Oh, I don't have to slow down. And he's cussing at her, and, and he steps on the gas. And as he does, the front end of the car goes like an airplane. And the windows were down in the car, and the lights of the street were going through the window. I had a little brother who was uh, 
uh, four at the time, and he's laughing as he's sitting in his, his seat there, and he's just laughing. He doesn't know. Man, our lives are in danger. So I'm looking out under the windows, and I tell God, I said, God, if you get me home safe, if you get me home safe, I will make you my father. And I want Jesus to be my best friend. I need a friend. I need you to be with me. So I got home, and that night, he got, got, got me home safe, and I went right to my bed. And I didn't know about falling to your knees by your bed, but I, I came my knees to my bed. I said, God, come in my life. God, Jesus, come in my heart. Be my best friend. God, be my father. I need a father who's bigger than my father. I need a father who can protect me and take care of me. I need a father who can help me. And so I cried out to God. And so I, made, I, I didn't know any better. So I made, I took it literally. So I made Jesus my best friend. And so I, I roller skated with Jesus and I, <laughs> I played army men with Jesus. I played matchbox cars with Jesus. And so my dad sees me talking to Jesus all the time. And so a couple weeks goes by and he asked my mom, he goes, where does Jesus thing come from? And my mom said, I don't know. It just kind of started up out of nowhere. So my dad comes up to me and he says, well, if you're going to talk to Jesus all the time, you're going to need one of these. And he gave me a Bible. And being a firstborn child, I was pretty smart, and I loved to read. And so I just fell in love with God's Word. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing Noah talks to God, and Abraham talks to God, and David talks to God, and all these people are talking to God like I'm talking to God. And, and, they, and God's, their be- God's watching over them and protecting them, and like He's going to protect me. And I took it literally. I didn't go to church to have anybody tell me, God does not talk like that today. God doesn't do that today. <laughs> Uh, so I just took it literal. I was, you know, and, and then what happened was, is as a couple of years goes by and I'm in the Word and I can't get enough of it, all of a sudden God starts to give me pictures. Like there was one time uh, I was on a camping trip with my dad and uh, his buddy, and his buddy was driving this truck. My dad was sitting between us on this bench seat of our truck, and I'm on the side by the window, and we're on a highway, and it's about 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And we're driving to get, we're trying to get across the state to go camping. <laughs> we shouldn't have been out that late, but of course they've been drinking or whatever. And so all of a sudden I have a picture. And at the time I'm like 13, I guess 12, 13. And, uh, and I have this picture come to my mind. I see this guy behind the wheel fall asleep at the wheel. And the Lord then speaks to me and says, that's what's going to happen. And I went, what? And the Lord speaks to me and says, that's what's going to happen. And when it does, here's what I need you to do. And my dad was asleep between us on this bench seat of this truck. He said, take your left hand and put it on your dad's shoulder and gently stroke it and say, dad, I love you. He said, whisper, do not talk out loud, but just whisper, dad, I love you. And with your right hand, you're going to reach and hold the wheel steady. And I went, okay, God, so I'm watching him, I'm watching him, I'm watching him. The guy doesn't fall asleep. And so I'm like, oh, it's just me being concerned. And I started to lean back in the chair and started to fall asleep myself. And then God says, now. And I look and the guy falls asleep at the wheel. So I put my left hand on my dad's shoulder and I'm like, dad, I love you. And I'm holding that right arm, holding onto the wheel and holding us on a four lane freeway. And uh, rescued our lives. My dad wakes up and he goes, Dave, what's going on? And just rescued our lives. There was another time that the Lord told me, he woke me up in the middle of the night. And he said, I need you to practice this. And I said, practice what, Lord? And he speaks to me and he says, uh, say, absolutely not, absolutely not. I'm not going to let you. I went, what? He says, come on, say it with me. I said, absolutely not, absolutely not. I'm not going to let you. So I said it again. And he said, absolutely not, absolutely not. I'm not going to let you. I said it again. He says, now I want you to go into your parents' room and say that. And I went, oh, no, are you joking? Are you joking? Parents' room is like so off limits. I was like, I am not going to do that, God. I'm not going to do that. And then all of a sudden, boom. The wall shakes and the Lord says, now go in the room now. 
And I go out of my room, and sure enough, my parents' door is open, and the light is on. And the Lord says, go in there now. And so I go in there now, and my dad has rammed my mom's head through the wall and has a gun in his hand. And the Lord says, stand between them. Stand between them. Tell them, tell them what I said. So I stood between them, and I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not going to let you. And my dad said, well, then I'll kill you first. And then the Lord said, run. <laughs> so I run into the house. And I'm like, go to the front door. And the Lord says, don't go to the front door. I go to the back door. And the Lord says, no, don't go through the back door. And I start going through the kitchen. And it's like the door goes to the garage. And I see like this little rainbow of light. And I'm like, okay, I'll go into the garage. So I go into the garage. And of course, the garage door is closed. But there's a little door that goes out. And I didn't realize it at the time. But we lived on the edge of the desert. And as I went out that little door, the Lord had me go and hide underneath a, a, a one of the, the big bushes out there in the desert. And then my dad started hunting me down with a gun and it rescued my mom's life. There were other times God would give me pictures and tell me things like that. And it just rescued my life. And so God became my life source. But I never stepped into a church until I was 18. And uh, and then when I stepped in a church, I don't think the pastors knew what to do with me because they saw me talking to Jesus like he's my best friend. And they were like, well, you can't talk to a God like that. And I'm like, really? I said, that's what I've done my whole life. You know, what do you mean? I can't talk to him like this. This is what I've done my whole life. And uh, so then I got into the church and then I wanted to be a minister and then I, I had to become more sound. But the more and more I tried to get sound, the more and more God would interrupt my life with little things where he would do speak to me things and he would help people. And it was just amazing. So that's how I got on this adventure. Yeah, he does that. He, he, he It's interesting. He generally gets his way. It's kind of how he does, <laughs> does yeah. stuff. So, yeah. all right. So we had that period. So we had that very uh, little turbulent youth growing up. Then we had the the era of the MS and the healing from that. And then in the time since then, you've moved into uh, music therapy and singing in uh, care homes. And I think you said memory homes. And then uh, and a, I don't know, I guess a, a church or an operation called God's Living Room. So can you just give us a, like kind of an overview of what you do in those two things? I, I never expected to sing in the care homes and the memory wards. Um, but I was serving on a church staff and had been there for seven years and a new pastor came in and looked at me and said, I think you're too old. And of course, at the time I was 45, I was like, really? Well, okay. And, uh, so, um, but God opened up the door for me to, uh, sing in a care home for a hospice and, uh, the care home had knew, known about me and my music ministry in the church for the years before. And uh, they said, well, does he know music therapy? And he said, well, I don't know if he knows music therapy or not, but when he sings, people feel better. And uh, they didn't know, but in my high school years and my college years, I was a theater major. I was one of two of my way paid to study theater at Arizona State University. So I loved theater songs and love songs. And so I, I joined up with this hospice and I sang with them for, uh, I've been doing this hospice stuff now for 10 years. And what I do is I go in there and I, I'm, Here's my spiel. I'm Tom the Music Man. I sing over 861 songs, everything from Golden Oldies through the Beatles, Western Hymns, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, Show Tunes, Big Band, Love Songs, Old Rock and Roll, even some Hawaiian. I do imitations. I do Elvis. I do uh, Willie Nelson. I do Kermit the Frog. I do the Ink Spots uh, and uh, Ella Fitzgerald singing with Louis Armstrong. And uh, and so what happens is, is I sing in front of a group. And, of course, I honor those in the medical realm. I'm not there to proselytize. I'm there to just cheer hearts and bring back memories. But I'm also praying for them under my breath. And so what happens is, is I'll start singing. And all of a sudden, God will start bringing four or five, five songs to my heart. And I start singing those. 
And then this person to my right starts to cry. And they said, how do you know those were the songs at my wedding? How do you know those were the songs that uh, my dad used to sing when we went camping? And then there was one time I had a guy who uh, had a World War II cap on. And he said, how do you know those were the songs that we were stationed in World War II and we were losing? We were losing terribly. And Al Jolson came out on his own dime. The uh, USO and them wouldn't come out. But Al Jolson came out on his own dime, and he sang for us, and it was like getting cornbread from home. And he sang for us. He said, I was over my men. He said, tears in our eyes, tears of joy. It was like, it was like getting a letter from home. And, and such, he said, and that was the point where the war turned around for us. And now you're singing to me now. Why are you singing to me now? And I explained to him. I said, well, you're in that wheelchair there. And I said, you probably feel like you're on a beachhead of your own. I said, but God wants you to know that you're not alone. And then I went, I went back to singing. So God has used me now in the care homes. And in other words, I've had people who haven't talked start in weeks or months start talking again. One time I had a lady who couldn't hear and she could hear when I, when I sang. It was amazing. So I've had a lot of neat things happen in that world. Uh, kind of flying under the radar, if you will, being a music therapist. You've uh, regaled me many times with songs over the years as we've gotten together. So uh, I, you, you can deliver the mail, man. I know, I, I know you're capable of it. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. And then uh, what happened was, is then uh, I started to have some dreams that God was telling me that he wanted to use me to encourage those in the body of Christ, and uh, and that he wanted to help people to get over their fears. And so I I had been rejected somewhat for a lot of my views about hearing God's voice and the things I've shared with you. And, and I actually served a lot of pastors who I kind of, they said, now, Tom, don't you go telling people. So I kind of held it in so as not to be controversial. And then all of a sudden I started getting these dreams and I felt like God was saying, Tom, I want you to start sharing what I've done in and around your life. I want you to encourage those in the body of Christ that I am here. I'm here with them and I'm here to help everybody to hear like you did and to do this. I said, okay, God. And so I kind of put out feelers and, uh, and I started a thing called God's living room. Um, and I wanted a place where people felt relaxed to be in God's presence, that it wasn't like a normal church service where we would kind of come together and yeah we would worship and yeah we would pray but ultimately we would let god do whatever he wanted to do and then god told me that he would start having different people who would come speak special speakers who would come in who travel the country and the world for the kingdom of god and that they would come in and then people would have a special opportunity instead of seeing them in front of hundreds of people they would actually have an ability to ask them their questions and say how did you get over your fears and how did you do this and and sure enough, God did that. He created this network, and I've, I've had all of these wonderful speakers come into, I call it the hole in the wall, or <laughs> I call it the uh, underground church in Phoenix. <laughs> and, and these uh, speakers come in, and they just, they, because they, they want the body of Christ to be doing what they're doing. They, you know, here they are behind the podium, but the truth is, is they, 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 they know they're like the rest of us, and they want everybody else to be doing this stuff too. And so they love the opportunity to find people to, so into their lives and, and so i tell people it's a neutral site for revival come from your church get what you need get boosted up in the, your faith and take it back to your church you know <laughs> go, go set the fires off where you're where you're from so they can get a part of this too i actually attended uh, the god's living room events and uh went back when it was at your house before you had a location so i'm one of the ogs from back then so i've uh <laughs> I've, I've been there. see everything Listeners, the reason I'm telling you all this stuff is because with all the stuff Tom's talking about, I've, I've seen it. I've witnessed it. It's, it's the real deal. If people want to uh, maybe contact you or find out about God's Living Room or anything going on, where is the best place to find you? Is there a website, social media, phone numbers? How can they get a hold of you? 
Yeah, uh, we have godslivingroom.org. We have a website, godslivingroom.org. And uh, you can, uh, there's a contact page and feel free to email me or contact me. I'd be honored to, to stand with you and pray with you. Uh, there's also some uh, things there with some teachings and some events where I've, I've spoken at different things that's there too, so you can gain some more insight as well. And I'm looking to start branching out more. God's been kind of nudging me. And actually being with you today is like God's been saying, Colin, I want you to start sharing more publicly what I've done for you. And you were, were one of the first doors that God has nudged me to say, hi, here I am. So thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, listeners, as we're doing this show today, you know, we're not following our normal format. We're kind of going uninterrupted and uh, we're just going a little out of order today. So that's uh, so the testimony, uh, a little about Tom and his background and experience and then his contact information. Now, um, what I'd like to ask you to do, Tom, is that uh, as we wrap up the show, we generally have a lesson time or a, a quick sermon, little five minute message. And what I'd like to have you do is out of all the stuff you've been through, out of that testimony that you told us and things you've learned, um, could you speak for a few minutes and teach us some form of lesson on what is the main thing that people need to know modern day as we're going through this and just what's on your heart about just what people need to hear right now? The thing that God has really turned my life inside out even more in the last 10 years has been in Ephesians chapter 3, we read a verse where our faith is to be rooted and grounded in his love, in God's love. And when I read that, I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought our faith is to be rooted and grounded in the word, but it says that our faith is to be rooted and grounded in his love. And then I realized, oh, well, the word of God tells me about his love and how to experience his love, how to have a relationship with God. God's word is there. Uh, it says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So oftentimes we've, we've taken in all this knowledge about word, 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 and it puffs us up with pride. And I think that we've even walked into some things of faith with pride when the truth is, is that we're meant to find our faith rooted and grounded in his love. And then that love actually activates faith. When I realize how loving he is, how faithful he is, how good he is, I can have more faith and trust in him even in the darkest times. And then he shows up and he does something far greater outside of my box than I could ever imagine because his lay, his love is who he is. And his love, if God fills the universe and he's got a universe full of love for us, it's far bigger than I can even imagine. And that, and I've been, been seeing lately, like um, in first Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the gifts of the spirit. And in first Corinthians 14, it talks about the gifts of the spirit again. And it goes on about, uh, prophecy and and different ways of, of interacting when you're in a meeting in regards to the gifts of the spirit but in between first corinthians 12 and first corinthians 14 is that chapter that we love to quote over and over again first corinthians 13 the love chapter and for the longest time i thought okay it's a uh, gifts of the spirit power god moving and doing things woohoo and while we pause for a moment <laughs> for a commercial interruption and here's a word about love and then all of a sudden we get back to 1 Corinthians 14 and we go, ah, yeah, yeah, power, power. But what I've learned is actually what the first four verses in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, which is, uh, and I don't have the verses in front of me, but this is just me off the top of my head here. But it talks about, you know, if I have uh, the tongues of men and, and angels, but don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or if I'm able to speak prophetic prophetically, 
and say powerful things so as to move mountains and cause things, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Or if I'm able to uh, help the hungry or, or help those who are in need, but I don't do it out of love, it's ineffective. And then it goes on about love is patient, love is kind, and the attributes of God's love. And I realized, oh my, the whole thing about the gifts of the Spirit is that the gifts of the Spirit are, is God's love being manifested to somebody. So if somebody's poor or broken in their body, God is wanting to love on them to heal them. And all I'm doing is I'm just a conduit in between. I'm just like a midwife. I'm here to deliver God's love to you as you're suffering right now and to let his love touch you. And then it's changed my focus. It's realized when I'm praying for people, instead of going, Lord, what scripture do I need to stand on and what do I need to say? Instead, I go, Lord, I, I focus myself on God's love for the person in front of me. I say, Lord, you love them so much. Father, you love them so much. Jesus, you, you treasure them. <laughs> You're so alive in them. What do you want to say to them, Father? What's your heart of love for them? What do you want to say? And from that place, the gifts of the Spirit of 1 Corinthians 12 and, and 14 are actually released because I'm actually hearing the word from the Father's heart. And then I realized that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I only say that which I hear my Father saying. And I only do that, which I see my father doing. And that what Jesus was doing the whole time was he was ministering the love of the father. That's why he was so heavy about, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you want to know what God, the father's heart of love is like, look at Jesus. And his, and because the, the healings and all the things that happened was the father in heaven ministering love through Jesus and healing the person in front of him. So that love is really key. I think if we could just shift our view from faith and power uh, gifts of the Spirit, to realizing that those things actually come out of his love, his heart of love for the person in front of me. So when I see the person in front of me, I go, wow, I see you through the Father's heart of love. How do, what is he feeling for you right now? What does the Father feel for you right now? And I come in line with that, and then I let that be expressed through me, whether through touch or word or deed. I let that go through me from the Father's heart to you. That touch can change the world for the person in front of me, not because of what I say or do, but because of the Father's love being manifested through me by what I say or do, as I'm obedient to Him, that's what I'm learning. I, I know in this episode I'm I'm very subdued as compared to normal because this is just hitting me in the spirit in so many ways, and I'm I've been overwhelmed several times throughout the show. So it's uh, it's been a crazy, crazy experience here. Now, Tom, as we generally come to the end of the show, what I ask our guests, if they would please do, is to say a prayer for our listeners. Now, our listeners, we have thousands of people, multiple countries all around the world that tune in at some point or other. We've had instances where people heard a show two, three years after it was released, got a healing, and unexpectedly in some cases. Um, to this day, we get uh, updates from people from shows that we've done years and years ago that are so grateful for what we do. So this thing, for whatever reason, it has incredible reach and I just kind of put it out there and let God do what he wants with it. And with all that, and for our audience that has been with us today, future listeners and everybody involved, would you please say a prayer for our listeners? If you pick up any kind of like words of knowledge or anything prophetic, feel free to let it rip and just hundred percent, give me a hundred, ten percent of whatever you got and just burn this thing up, man. Take me to an amen if you would, please. Well, Father, I just, I, I pause right now and I realize that, uh, that as I shared some of the things that I shared today, that there are some who are going through some very dark and heavy times where they're experiencing things in their body and uh, some of them are experiencing pain 
and and symptoms like that can just be so wearing and can just tear you down and it just gets like you just get sick of the symptoms and Lord, I feel like there's others who are despairing who are broken hearted and uh, and just like God, where are you? where are you and God, I just stand with those who are broken hearted right now, and Lord, we just instead of saying, "Where are you?" I say god i i I give you my heart." I thank you that you're here with me. Even though I don't see you, you're here with me. And I give you this this burden. I cast this care, this heavy, dark burden, and I throw it to you, God. Would you carry this for me so I can see you, so I can know you? And Lord, I pray for the person who's going through symptoms in their body, and I'm feeling like pain here on that left side. Uh, and, and I just speak life, Lord God, for the sciatic nerve going down the back of the leg. Uh, the person with the hip problem as well. Lord, I speak life and I, the oil of your Holy Spirit, Lord, touching these people right now who are suffering. Lord, I feel like there's somebody else who's having some brain issues as well. Uh, I don't know what, Lord, but I just, I just apply your precious presence. I thank you, Lord, that by your stripes, we are healed and we're healed. And that by your blood, Lord Jesus, by your precious blood shed on the cross, that that is the appropriation of our healing of body, soul, and spirit. And Lord, I just apply that blood to the person's mind, to their eyes, to their ears, to their heart, wow, to their lungs, to their back. Lord, and I tell all pain to go in Jesus' name. And Lord, I speak reconstructive miracle back to the original order of how you created in your mother's womb. I speak everything to go back to its original, like a reset button in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, I speak life into your body and hope and peace into your heart to encompass your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We cast all our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. And Lord God, as we cast that care upon you and we go, we exhale it to you, we inhale, Lord God, your love, your goodness, your healing, your presence, your Holy Spirit, fresh and new into our very body. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would just minister to every cell up and down their bodies from the top of their head down to their feet. Lord God, just minister your life and your peace and your healing to their bodies. I speak wholeness in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, kind of like you told me to look for your fingerprints, to look for the little things of your grace. You're there. And Lord God, thank you for great things, great things. Thank you, God, that nothing's impossible for you. Nothing's impossible for you. And I speak, Lord God, that nothing is impossible in this body. And we will not accept the diagnosis of, of what the enemy has said. But, Lord, we receive life and healing and wholeness through you, through your resurrected life, infusing this body with life now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I gotta pull myself together here. <laughs> Tom has been a has been a friend. He's been a brother and just an incredible guy to speak with and be around. And I am immensely grateful for you and for you being here. Listeners, anytime, make sure you visit Tom at his site at godslivingroom.org, right? Make sure I say that right. Yes. You can also go to Facebook at uh, God's Living Room in Phoenix. Okay. And if anybody is having any difficulty finding anything or tracking Tom down, you're welcome to message me as well, and I'll put you in contact. This program is number 100, and um, for the last couple of years, as I said, it's been uh, kind of sputtering here and there, and I've been wanting to get it up and running and back where it needs to be, and I really feel this is you know, the, the dawn of new things. It's a reset, as Tom was saying. 
And so anytime, please visit this podcast, our other podcast called Dominion Fire 360, as well as the YouTube vlog and all the other things we do. Please find it at www.dominionfire.com, facebook.com forward slash Dominion Fire, on Twitter at Healing Minister, and youtube.com forward slash Dominion Fire. You'll find all our stuff. And if you're ever in doubt, once again, just go back to dominionfire.com and there's a contact form. You're welcome to just fill it out, send it to me, and I will get you hooked up with whatever you need to get done. Again, Tom Schermitzler joins us from Phoenix, Arizona, God's Living Room. An immense pleasure. Thank you so much. We always end our show with my usual catchphrase, which is boom goes Yeshua. But this time, I'm going to hook you up with go God. Go God. Go God.